The Film Guide with Howard Linsky, part of the St Albans podcast with Danny Smith. Welcome along to another edition of the St Albans Film Guide, uh, this time with none other than Howard Linsky, uh, legendary local author. Hello, Howard. Hello, Danny. How are you doing, mate? I'm very well, thank you. Um, and, and I feel I'm even more confident now in, in, in praising your local authorship skills or something because uh, <laughs> I just finished one of your books, um, your, your most recent one. Um, was it Don't, Don't Let Him In? Don't let him in, and you did. You let me in. Well, you yeah. didn't listen to the advice. <laughs> Thanks for reading it, mate. Oh no, it was uh, it was uh, you know it was great, and and I'm a very slow reader, so you mustn't re- you mustn't take anything from how long it took me to read it because um, you sent it to me a couple of months ago. But but what a thrilling little read that was. Oh, thanks, man. I'm really glad you enjoyed it. Don't worry, I'm a bit of a slow reader, which is quite embarrassing for an author because I get sent quite a lot of books to read <laughs> and people want me to provide quotes on them, you know, as authors do for other authors. Yeah. And so I, so I suffer from perpetual blurb guilt where I haven't quite read the one that I should have read fast enough and I just about hit the deadlines on them, but it's always a continual struggle. Right. Even if you're enjoying the books, you know, I, I never seem to have enough time to sit and curl up with the books. I'm too busy writing them, ironically. Don't you just have stock phrases that you can just pull out and then apply them to to the comment you're asked to make on a book? Oh, God, I'm resistant to that. In fact, I avoid repetition, so I write down the ones that I've previously said and try not to just go, a gripping read, or I couldn't put it down, or whatever, because yeah. really we've all been there, yeah. done that, and said that before. So Howard Linsky has done it again. Yeah. You see? Because that can work either way. Because if, it's, it if the book's a load of voltage, yeah. that, that works. True. How about I have never read anything quite like this before? That, <laughs> that, that, could, that could be a double-edged sword, couldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you see? Wholly original. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but was it yeah. both original and interesting? Um, yeah. Or something, yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, so so there you go. Howard is also, by day, he's an author. And uh, and that book, is it, don't, don't Let Him In, is, is out right now. Thank um, you for the blurb, mate. Thank you for the advert. That's very that's kind. Quite right. So <laughs> let's crack on with the film guide. Then later on in yes. the film guide, we'll be looking at um, we'll be looking at uh, Howard's choice of films on free to air TV for the forthcoming week. He has another film that is too good to be forgotten that he'll be sharing with us. We'll also be looking at uh, new releases on the streaming services and one from Netflix this week to look at. But let's start off with new releases in the cinema. Okie dokie. Well, new release number one coming this week is Stillwater, which stars Matt Dearman. Now, you might have heard a little bit about this one in the news press as well as the reviews because it's caused a bit of an argument. Um, I'll tell you about the plot first and see if it rings a bell. <clears throat> Matt Dearman plays a blue-collar American worker from Oklahoma, and he goes to Marseille to try to prove that his daughter Allison is innocent of the murder of her roommate who is also her lover, and that's a a girl called Lena. And Alison has already served four years in jail at this point. And this is why, um, apart from the setting being in in France, but not Italy, but um, certainly Europe, um, the four-year jail sentence, etc., it's very clearly based on the story of a certain Amanda Knox, who was a US student who uh, in Italy was arrested and jailed for coincidentally four years, for the murder of um, UK student Meredith Kircher. So it was a very tragic case. It was in the news a hell of a lot. And eventually, Amanda Knox was acquitted. And this week, she's been being very vocal about this movie because it has taken the core of her story, as the filmmakers have admitted, and it's kind of fictionalised it and also sexed it up a bit because the victim isn't just a roommate. Uh, The victim is the uh, accused girl's lover. And so it's... Partly the, the the true story, 
um, but a lot of it is fiction. But of course, fiction and reality are blurring here, and that means Amanda Knox is going to struggle to move on because uh, when you get filmmakers putting it on the screen, it reignites the whole debate. So she's been in quite a few newspapers this week talking about it. And I guess there's not an awful lot she can do about it because <clears throat> the story's in the public domain. It, it, it happened, it was news, and I, I suppose yeah. filmmakers are entitled to make films about well, that's it. it. They are allowed to do that, and of course... It isn't her name as the uh, you know main character, but as soon as you see the trailer, you automatically think, "Oh yeah, I get it." It's like it's like as if Matt Damon was trying to go to Italy to solve the original case. It's very similar, and as I said, they've sexed it up a bit. They've made it a bit spicier. Um, there's even more. I don't want to spoil the movie, but there's even more blurring of the lines of guilt and innocence and twisting and turning, um, and you know bits that clearly are fictional, but. Uh, but it just reignites it again. And I think that, that, you know, there'll still be people out there who think Amanda Knox is guilty no matter what she does, no matter how the Italian courts eventually said, you're acquitted, you should never have been jailed in the first place. The evidence wasn't uh, strong. It was mainly, I think, that the desire of the Italian authorities to convict her. And also because she acted a little oddly when uh, when the murder first occurred, because she was a bit of a daft teenager or a daft early 20s student at that point and and you know if everybody who was odd was put in prison for murder the jails would be very full wouldn't they so yeah, yeah. particularly but with so, northerners as well i'd oh, imagine how, how dare you how, how very dare you <laughs> <laughs> if it isn't but, already <laughs> yeah, yeah well perhaps they are up there that's why i escaped i escaped yeah. to move south but there you go but yeah i think um so you know it's still you can still everybody's entitled to go and see this one but i just take a a little bit of pinch of salt <laughs> when you when you sit and watch it. Do, do you think that anything where they where it's claimed either whether it's claimed that it's based on a true story or where it clearly has been influenced by a true story? Because I mean, this I, I guess they're not outright saying that it's based on that, but they have admitted that that it, they were influenced by. Yeah. It. So that- what they did. So they, there's no um, nothing in the trailer and nothing in the official elements that come out with this movie that says based on this story. However. Mm. As soon as they did the publicity launches, the filmmakers started saying, yeah, we all remember that Amanda Knox case. We kind of looked at that and we thought, what if this and what if that? So they upfront used that as the debating point. So had they been a little more subtle about it, maybe it wouldn't have caused such a stir. But of course, she wasn't consulted, wasn't involved in it, and then started hearing interviews in which the director said, yeah, it's kind of like the Amanda Knox story, but it's not her story. It's blurred and fictional and different. But hey, Amanda Knox, Amanda Knox, Amanda Knox. So you know that's. Uh... Is that a bit like that TV series Succession? I don't know if you've seen it on. Oh uh, yes, on Sky Atlantic. Oh, it's great. It's really good. Yeah, <laughs> where they go to great lengths to say it's not based on the Murdochs. Yes, to, they do. To the and, point and... that now you just think, well, clearly it's the Murdochs. Then. Yeah, but know? I mean, I must admit, from from episode one, we all thought, oh, it's a big media family with sons and uh, and a daughter rowing with the old man about who's going to take over, and you automatically assume that that's what they were basing it on. Although but, I thought. Uh, I watched it more. I did start to wonder how much of it was the Murdochs and how much of it might have been the Trumps or, you know, it, yeah. it could be a bit of a mixture of some of these families. Well, well I think that's what the guy um, who wrote it said, didn't he? I mean, he sort of basically said it's it's a bunch of people like that who live in that rarefied world where they're billionaires and they, they still, they're not happy and they still bicker yeah. and, in, and infight. And of course, a succession is always a big issue. If you've got a guy who's built something from scratch it's worth billions, and you've got two or three people going, me, 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 let me take over, Dad. Yeah, that's ripe for drama. I, I, I'd love. There's one bit in it where there's a his eldest son is a bit hippie and wayward, and he and he's sort of run out of money, and he, he goes to him, he says, "Oh, I just need a little bit, just a time over, just fifty or sixty million will do." You yeah, know, that's the one. That's the one. <laughs> you know, I mean, it just is mind blowing, isn't it? 
He's the one who wants to stand for president, having had no life outside of a little bubble. Yeah, uh, for, yeah. For years, I know the one you mean. Yeah, yeah, it's great. So, but, do you know that the act, the actor that played that guy was the friend in Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Alan Ruck. How about yes. That? Yeah. yeah. Well, well done. Yeah, you got his yeah. name. Uh, there you yeah. go. He's and very he, good. he was the captain that took over from Captain Kirk in uh, Star Trek. He. Uh, oh. He was the captain of the Enterprise B that was in the beginning of one of the Star Trek movies. And you see Lime Kirk on the bridge as they hand the ship over. I did not know that, which mm. shows you're an even bigger nerd than I am. Oh, yeah, so, way bigger. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Stillwater is one of the new releases yeah. out now. Uh, Matt Damon uh, in there doing his doing his thing. Um, th- there's two other films you're going to mention in this part, yes. aren't there? Oddly enough, the next one is also based on a true story. And it's probably the first movie that has ever been constructed around a Twitter thread that went viral. So we've 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 reached peak 2021 ironic, um, you know, media feeding on media at this point. It's called Zola, and it's now... Oh, it's not what page. I thought it was about then, because I'm, I'm imagining about the, the South African runner who didn't wear shoes. Oh, I thought you meant... Uh, I thought you were going to say the Chelsea footballer. That's even more <laughs> recent, but never mind. <laughs> or, thinking- or even the... Or even the author philosopher in france you know a couple of hundred years back but yeah, uh, no, anyway no one is smart on this. That one. <clears throat> this one's a, a lap dancer and part-time stripper so it's a little bit different so um but anyway the the story is about taylor page who plays zola she's a part-time stripper who was convinced by a new friend to, who's played by riley keogh and do you know who riley keogh is by the way only from your notes i didn't know before i read ah. that yeah, Elvis's granddaughter. Yeah, ah. there you go. But also a very good actress. Actress yeah. seen her in a few things. Anyway, she convinces Taylor as a Zola to travel to Tampa in Florida in order to earn a lot of money in a particular club where she can earn five grand a night as a stripper, lap dancer, what have you. And she gets in completely over her head because when she gets there, they don't make that kind of money at all. They've hooked up with a couple of guys who are part boyfriend, part pimp. And it turns out that the girls have been advertised out as potential, well, basically prostitutes, an escort so you can hire. Mm. And Taylor Page, um, as Zola, does not realise this. The other girl did, so she's lured her in. And that was why <clears throat> I think the Twitter feed went viral initially, because the real person who, who did this and who's gone on to um, you know write part of the movie and get involved in the development of this movie started it with a, wow, this is why I fell out with this girl and put a picture of the two of them up on her Twitter feed and then told the story in bite-sized Twitter pieces that went absolutely viral and celebrities were weighing in saying, oh, my God, I stopped everything to read this because uh, one woman lured another woman into effectively a trap and it was a um, you know a, a sex trap, I suppose, or a sex-for-money trap that she didn't want to do. Now, the rest of the movie, I suppose, it sort of spoils it by telling you anything more about it, but... Uh, it really is a question of like now she's in very hot water and what can she do about being trapped here with these people who won't let her go uh, and you know what ensues thereafter. I suppose the fact that it is based, however loosely, on the true story makes it more compelling because you know there's real people involved. And um, yeah, it's um, I think anything else would be a spoiler alert, really, having having sort of understood the plot. But that's okay. that's the premise. Imagine going to a little bit of harmless, you know, semi semi nude dancing turns into a you're trapped and you're now potentially going to be a prostitute against your will. So that's the premise of that one, okay. Zola. Um, yeah, written and by and directed by is it Janica Bravo? I think is how her name is pronounced. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it's astounding, isn't it? You, you mentioned this right at the beginning of this, that, uh, that that how this has come about, that, you know, plenty of times when you look at um, 
uh, information about films, it says, you know, you, you might see under writers, like based on the novel by, you know, or even based on the play by somebody, um, based on the tweets by um, yes, can Isaiah you King is what this one says, <laughs> based on the be- tweets by... There will be others, won't there? This will be the first. And if it does okay, there'll be many more. So it'll be based on the Twitter feed of, you know, and the, the, you've read the tweet, now see the movie. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're I a, mean, new, a new world. Well, yeah, quite, you know. Anyway, let's move on to uh, the final choice. I don't believe this one's based on a true story in any way, shape, or form. Is that right? Uh, oh, that's disappointing. I was kind of <laughs> hoping it would be because it's, it's called Boys from County Hell. And uh, the Guardian newspaper described it as a bloody good laugh because it's about a vampire, which is uh, it's uh, it's classed as a kind of horror comedy or comedy horror. Take a your comedy. So, a comedy. I like that. That's yeah. very good. You yeah. can have that. Um, yeah. Thank you. I'll, I'll use that again and <laughs> pretend I made that one up. <laughs> but um, they 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 were saying it channels Shaun of the Dead, that sort of dry but very dark humour surrounding death and and. Uh, dismemberment and blood everywhere so there are bits of it that are funny there are bits of it like a conventional horror film it's set in northern ireland where a bunch of guys um demolish a cairn and unleash a vampire so a cairn as in the pile of bricks over a an ancient mythical sort of grave that may or may not be actually a grave with may or may not have a personal body in it and there's an old vampire legend which they talk about in their local pub the local pub is called the stoker which can only be named after <laughs> Bram, I suspect. Yeah. And, and even though we all know that Bram Stoker wrote about Dracula landing in Whitby in North Yorkshire, did he not, in the original novel, mm. they're saying that the, 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 the pretext of this movie is that um, the whole vampire legend began here. And, of course, but, they do unleash Bram a vampire. But is Bram Stoker himself from Northern <clears throat> Ireland? Uh, do you know? I don't know. So I, you've caught me I, out I will quickly look that up while you're talking, but I yeah. believe that Bram oh. Stoker's from there. Oh, well, he must have taken his holidays in Whitby because that's. Oh, yeah, I mean, certainly. No, you're absolutely right. (coughs) uh, uh, Whitby is, you know, it was was a place in the book where he he arrived from Transylvania Mm -hmm. um, in a boat, I believe. Uh, He was. That's right, uh, on a ship, yeah. (coughs) Abraham Stoker, an Irish author. I don't know what part of Ireland. Ah. He was born in Dublin, so, so not far from there. Ah, so this is Northern Ireland. Yes. um, Yeah, but I mean, at the time, well, I guess, I mean, yeah. It's a bit like the uh, the football team, isn't it? If you've ever had a pint of Guinness, you can play for Ireland. Isn't that right? So. <laughs> I think you've had, you've had four or five. Well, you yeah. need to play for Ireland. We'll have, we'll have thousands of complaints now from irate people who yeah. don't realise I'm joking. I'm joking. Yeah. But, uh, but anyway, it looks really good. Um, I haven't had a chance to see the whole movie yet. I've seen the trailer, read a little bit more about it, read some reviews. Um, and it looks kind of fun, but also quite bloody. So don't take the kids to that one. If you can smuggle them in, they'll be traumatised. <laughs> and um yeah it's uh, it looks like it's worth a worth a look anything that okay. says it channels Shaun of the dead can't be bad can it no quite <clears throat> that's a uh, boys from county hell that's the uh the final new release that we're going to be talking about in this part Hi, I'm Matt Adams, the heart of the Hearts Advertiser for over 10 years. Join me and host Danny Smith for St Albans Podcast, a weekly look at the news, views and reviews of the city and district of St Albans. As well as our delve into the local stories that matter, we regularly cover topics including health, food and drink, legal matters, the theatre scene and mental health. Alongside our regular features, we talk to people from our wonderful community, sharing some of the amazing work they do. Episodes are released every Wednesday at 7pm and you can find us by going to your podcast platform of choice and searching for the St Albans Podcast. Find out more at stalbanspodcast.com. 
time now to take a look at new releases on the streaming services. Just one this week, and it's on Netflix. Uh, Howard, tell us about Blood Red Sky. Right. So Blood Red Sky is uh, a movie with an interesting premise. So it starts with a mother and her son, her young son. They're getting on a plane. And the mom is clearly, um, there is something uh, health-wise wrong with her. Um, We get a hint that it might be leukemia, but um, there's no real proof of that. But she has to take medicine. Anyway, we then get onto the plane. Mother's there with the kid. And Kelhara terrorists take over the plane. And while they're doing that, they ruthlessly kill the the, the wardens on the plane, the people who are there to guard it. And her little kid makes a run for it. So she tries to go and collect him and protect him. And in the process, she's shot, presumably fatally, because it's, you know, serious injury she picks up, falls to the ground. And uh, we then get a flashback to find a little bit of her origin story because um, she ain't dead, or at least if she ain't Dad, she's probably not fully living either because we are also back in the realm of vampires, would you believe, <laughs> coincidentally? So we've got one on at the cinema. We've got one on um, uh, original streaming on Netflix. I want to say original. It's not been shown anywhere else because of the pandemic. And uh, Blood Red Sky, basically the premise behind this is that she then turns into a vampire and is now going to do battle with the terrorists. So you had snakes on a plane. This is vampires on a plane, would you believe? And um, it gets... Well, possibly in a good way, quite bonkers after that, because obviously it's not as clear cut as, you know, she's a vampire and she's superhuman and kills them all. No, no, no. There's a lot of twists and turns. Again, I've been giving away loads of spoilers, so I don't want to do that to anybody that actually wants to go and see the film. But there are twists and turns and then more twists and turns. And as I say in Blackadder, it's more twisty and turny than a twisty turny thing. (laughs) So, yeah, if it's um, horror that you're into with a quite original premise i think yeah then this one looks pretty good and it stars perry baumeister who if you've seen her at all you will have seen her in the last kingdom okay but the rest of the cast aren't very well known the only so. name i recognize the, well the only name i recognize that listeners might know is dominic purcell who was one of the guys out of prison break um oh, right. and uh <clears throat> he's done other things since uh, legends of tomorrow he's in that which is one of these dc superhero tv series things um and so he might be known to some people but beyond that looking down the list and there's not really anybody in there that i've ever particularly heard of before yes i didn't i I resist the temptation to read out the cast list thinking well unless they're really well known you know it'll mean nothing to most people it certainly meant very little to me yeah apart from perry so there we are okay so that's your that's your new one on netflix thank you i love the the, the sort of poster of it because you've got a woman cradling her son i guess sat in a, a seat on an airplane but in the reflection of the window beside her it's a vampire, which ah, is weird because I didn't think they had reflections. Oh, good point. Yeah, yeah. But so unless it's her imagining or hallucinating her reflection, but, artistically and speaking metaphorically and all that. But, but also, yeah, don't um, good point. Don't um, like you know vampire stories. Don't they always set their own rules? You know, and, and sometimes they don't follow all the same rules of convention, do they? That's true. So the one that we mentioned earlier, the one that was set in Northern Ireland, um, they drain blood without actually biting you. So that's a new. Thing. yeah so but and it's uh, it's quite a quite a horrific um special effect by all accounts because you, your blood just seeps from places so <laughs> hopefully people aren't having their breakfast while they're listening to this no getting no richie for the ketchup as i speak you know <laughs> <laughs> well there's an image anyway that's yeah. that's the new release on the streaming <laughs> service this week that's uh, blood red sky which is available now on netflix the film guide with howard linsky part of the st Albans podcast with danny smith 
time now for a feature that uh, we've been calling uh, Too Good to Be Forgotten. This is where uh, Howard shares a film with us that we may or may not know that that basically you, you feel um, is one that we, if we've not come across it before, we should absolutely go and hunt it down. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. And uh, it's one that occasionally is on, on the telly, as they say. It's on the TV every now and again, and you can get it on DVD, and it, I'm sure you can find it streaming somewhere. Um, and before I tell you what it is, I, I happen to know that you've, seen this one because i wrote about it a while ago for dead good books when we were looking at a series about movies that we didn't call it too good to be forgotten but i think it was undiscovered or um passed over movies that needed to be rediscovered by people wasn't it something like like um, the, the best crime films you should have seen or something yes, like that i think that. that's how we that was our strap line underneath yeah. it i think you're right you've got a better memory of it than me well done but um this one is I sometimes uh, say i read your stuff more closely than you do well, it just—it's—it's. It's, I'm older. My my memory just goes. You see, so even things I've written, I forget about. It's terrible, you know. People, um, somebody was asking me about a, a book character the other day, and I had to think long and hard to get the right book. So that's how bad it's gotten to the stage where I've written enough to forget which book people are in. Anyway, I digress, as we often do, you and I. The movie, the Too Good to Be Forgotten selection this this week is The Hit, which is a Stephen Frears movie. Now that that's one hell of a good British director. Um, He's the one who directed Dangerous Liaisons, which is a masterpiece. He did Grifters, and he did The Deal, amongst others. Um, and he's still going. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's done some pretty um, diverse things as well. He he did... Yeah, uh, he really is diverse as a director. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's worked with uh, Steve Coogan, hasn't he, more than once? Um, they did um, yes, Philomena the, together. That's right. Philomena, yeah. The, the Martin yeah. Sixsmith um, story where he... Yeah. Uh, he met a lady who had to give her her baby away. Yeah, so who um, sometimes listens. By the way, hello, Philomena. If you're listening, the real life Philomena lives in oh, St Albans, and her family wow. sometimes listen as well. So hello well, to them. Hey, I'm, I'm honoured then if she is listening, <laughs> Philomena. Wow, blimey, that's amazing. So. Yeah, um, and also another film that that he did, which which is a very much a hidden little gem, Dirty Pretty Things. From, oh yes, yes, um, I haven't years seen ago, for a long while, but another very one you early made, yes. film for <clears throat> Chiwetelegia for. Who, who went yeah. on to sort of greatness um, not long after this. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I remember another one you mean. And um, he's done some good political stuff. He's, uh, you know, done, as I said, the the, the deal. He did, um, the, is it a very British murder? The one about Jeremy Thorpe recently very as well English on TV? Scandal. Yes. Damn, I was close with a very British murder. But, you yeah. know, I should never wing it, should I? I should just research this <laughs> in advance. <laughs> he did the Although Queen, of course, keep, didn't he? I'll Helen just keep Mirren. putting them up and you can knock them down. Absolutely. Yes, he did, the Queen, Helen Mirren, yes. Yes, I probably would have called it the monarch if you hadn't uh, told me. But you know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to the one I do know about. Yes, yes. It's sorry. called the hit. It's 1984. I think there was a release date. Um, an excellent film. It's got uh, the well, Terence Stamp playing the main uh, lead character, which is always, always a plus. And it also stars John Hurt and Tim Roth. Stamp plays Willie Parker, who is a London gangster who turns supergrass and sends his mates off to long prison sentences at the beginning of the movie, and he escapes to a new life in Spain. We then cut to ten years later. John Hurt is Braddock, the hitman who's hired to bring him back from Spain to face the men he betrayed. And Tim Roth plays the hitman's, basically his apprentice, his sidekick, but he's a young lad who's kind of on approval at this point. He's not really been with the guy very long, and he's called Myron. And... Um, they they start the relatively early in the movie. They get Parker, bundle him into a car, and drive him off. And they're going to get him across the border. Um, but if anything goes wrong in the meantime, while they're on the road, they'll just kill him. And what's interesting about this movie and marks it out from other similar um, genre type 
stories about hitmen and victims and people coming after other people is um, Willie Parker's attitude. After 10 years of expecting this day to come, he is really laid back about dying. And that confuses the hitman and confuses his assistant. And they also have to pick up a girl called Maggie along the way because the choice is either kill her or drag her with them. And at this point, even though they have killed other people, they don't want to kill Maggie, so they bundle her in the car as well. So these four people go on what now becomes effectively a road movie and misadventures ensue. And it's one of those movies where you really want to know how it's going to end and how it's going to turn out because um, Parker in particular... Uh, has, has, as I say, a very unusual and idiosyncratic way of dealing with imminent death at the hands of a hitman. And you think, wow, how's how's this going to end? Is it going to end well or badly? And it keeps you gripped, and it's a very, very good story. And a very, very charismatic performance from, uh, you know, from Terence Stamp there, who who is an actor, I'm ashamed to say, I'm not that familiar with his work. I know know of him. I know he's been in some great movies. I've seen him in a few things, but Mm -hmm. he wasn't somebody that, I could particularly kind of recall. And then I watched this movie and I thought, wow, he's really good. He's really good. Yeah, he had a bit of a gap between movies. So I think he was one of those actors who went off to India for a while and found himself, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, early on, would you believe this? Early on, as a a fairly young man trying to break into theatre and film and just on the edge of becoming a star, he shared a flat with another guy who was in completely similar circumstances, Michael Caine. The two of them shared a flat together. And I think Terrence Stamp, if I um, remember correctly, played Alfie on stage, and Michael Caine got the role to do it in a movie later on, and that was the one that launched Michael Caine. Okay. And um, Stamp was launched in a thing called Billy Budd, where he played a sailor, basically, a, a sort of hornblower-type adventure. Um, he was a mutinous sailor. Uh, but he also did things like The Collector. Um, I mean, gosh, he was in The Limey in the, I think, late 90s, a bit of a comeback yeah. or early noughties, which was good. He was I just a, think he's one of those guys you can't take your eyes off him when he's on screen. He's so good. I mean, of course, he was, he was in the <coughs> Superman movies, wasn't he? As General Zod. Um, oh, yes, General Zod, Which, yeah. which is what I kind of first recalled him as, as, as playing. Um, but then, of course, I forgot, he was also in Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. He was. Yeah. That was an amazing movie. <laughs> yeah, that was really, really good. Yeah, he yeah. was great in that. Yeah, yeah, so I'd so, watch more or less anything with him in it, to be honest. Yeah, and and interestingly, he went on. I don't know if you you realise this or not or, or care, but he went from uh, playing um, General Zod in the Superman big screen movies with Christopher Reeve to playing Jor El, who was Superman's father on the TV series Smallville for many well, years. You, you're absolutely ramping up the nerd points for the superheroes. <laughs> We've had Star Trek and Superman, and <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I did not know that. I'm fascinated. I was yeah. really. Uh, yeah, there you go. I know. He was typecast there for a year or two. Something <laughs> like that, yeah. But uh, that TV series, Smallville, was was looking at the early life of, of Clark Kent. And yes, I remember there was a that, yeah. lot of nods to the Christopher Reeve film series. Not least Christopher Reeve was in it, playing a, a, lot um, of... a professor. And this was a nod to Zod, presumably. <laughs> oh, very good. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Taxi for me. I'll get my coat. <laughs> but the hit, I mean, what a, what a yes, great, a great good. movie. Yeah. Beautiful locations as well. So, you know, a be- yes. beautiful uh, setting in, in Spain, it isn't is. it? It's all, it's it is. All it's Spain. And, and possibly bits of Spain you might not be familiar with as well. You know, some of it's a little bit um, off the beaten track as well, which makes it more interesting. And uh, yeah. I thought it was a really atmospheric movie. And I, th- I think, again, Stephen Free is one of those people that you think – it's a kite mark of quality if he's been involved in it. It's probably going to be good. Mm. And this was one of his earlier ones, so fair play. Yeah, yeah it was his second movie, apparently. Mm. Um, anyway, that's... The first one was Gumshoe, wasn't it, with Albert Finney, I think? 
yeah, in the <coughs> early seventies. And this was what yeah. a good ten or so years later. Yeah, um, it was. Now I think he did some TV in between and various yeah. other things, and probably back in the day where a lot of directors did adverts as well until they got the chance to do big screen stuff. Yeah. But but no, yeah. a great film, and and Tim Roth with a great performance in there. So I think one of his first film roles. It was, uh, and he, so. I think he got a BAFTA for that, playing the the the, the, the young assistant. Mm. And um, yeah, now he's uh, very much grown up because it's going back. Mm. Gosh, it's almost forty years ago. I I, I love yeah, the notion yeah. that basically even for hitmen you can have apprenticeships schemes, you know. And he's yeah, like, YTS, a, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's the apprentice. <laughs> yeah. um, these days, yeah. these days it would be an unpaid internship, wouldn't yeah. it? Until well, you yeah, prove yourself, you know. Yeah. And you'd have to get your parents to pay the hitman to take yeah. it for a while. But, but back then, so. I think there's probably a government grant involved anyway probably hi i'm elspeth jackman inviting you to listen to my podcast one to one with elspeth find a local person with a story and i'll be there to draw out all those little details you want to know about if i'm fascinated so will you be each week i'll be talking to an interesting character who has a tale to tell and the beauty of it is you can listen whenever you want to to find the podcast, go to your podcasting platform of choice and search for the St. Albans Podcast. Alternatively, go to stalbanspodcast.com slash Elspeth. That's one-to-one with Elspeth, part of the St. Albans Podcast in association with the Hearts Advertiser. You never know, you could be my next guest. Time now to take a look at Howard's choice of films on free-to-air TV for the forthcoming week. So we'll start off with Friday the 6th of uh, August, uh, BBC Two, 11.05pm. You've gone for an undisputed classic here, The Deer Hunter. Oh, I'm glad you I'm glad you agree, The Deer Hunter. Yeah, so this one uh, is directed by Michael Cimino. Um, it's a long, and I mean it's in a good way, long movie where you get to know the characters before the action kicks in, which I think is quite rare, certainly these days, but even then. So it's set in the steel mills of Philadelphia. It stars it's an incredible cast. It's got Robert De Niro, Meryl Streep, Christopher Walken, and John Cazale in it. And these are characters that have <clears throat> grown up and known each other for a while. And they're, you know, dating one another and there's marriages and stuff going on in the background. And then the Vietnam War and the draft for the Vietnam War interrupts things. So off they go. And then it becomes a whole different kind of movie because uh, uh, some of the main characters are captured um, without giving, again, too many spoiler alerts away for this one. But you, you probably all... Uh, if anyone's ever seen a clip for this, it's probably going to be the one where the, the, there's a game of Russian roulette in order to attempt to escape from the the Vietnamese people who have um, taken them prisoner. And um, although that's kind of the dramatic action element to it, what I really like about this movie is that you actually care about the people in it. You know, you might not always like all of them, but you get to know them really, really well before they're put in peril. And then they show the aftermath of what happens when people come back as well. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a sweeping sprawling movie you know and it's uh and it talks about well worth another look it talks about mm. the casualties of war that in a way that film well certainly films before it had never done because it showed yes. the impact on on the lives of the the young men who were sent off because you saw their lives before and then you saw what they had to endure and then you saw what happened to them afterwards you saw the town they came from and how it, it affected the town as well it it really was yeah, powerful their loved stuff. ones as well you, you you know you to 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 add to what you're saying that, that also the impact on their wives fiancés sweethearts whatever it might be one of them comes back to a 
a marriage after being horribly injured and uh, and that that you know that goes a bit south to say mm. the least um and it's yeah it's a very moving movie i mean and i think also um it is you hinted it was one of the first to really tackle the war trauma and vietnam i mean this is even gosh this is 8 years before platoon yeah really went and and that was considered quite wow it's gone where no one's gone before and we then we had a raft of vietnamese of vietnam war movies mm. um from both sides but back then it was rare to do that i think america was still traumatized from vietnam and it was a bit early but what a movie the yeah film. and as you said bbc2 1105 on friday the 6th okay i want to see if i can test your um, your film knowledge now you <gasps> oh mentioned that uh, john john cazale um yeah uh john cazale john cazale i don't know how you'd say that but i, I thought it was cazale but i honestly don't know but I know, Caz- I know him from the godfather obviously and no, well let's go with john, john and- cazale he only made five movies in his in his life can you name them so the godfather one godfather two Dog Day Afternoon, The Deer Hunter. God, what would the fifth be? And I'm going to kick myself, aren't I? But no, we'd be here all day if I thought about it. What was the fifth? The Conversation. Oh, yes, the Coppola one with... Um, with Gene Hackman. Robert Duvall and Gene Hackman, is it? Uh, Gene Hackman, definitely, but I don't know if Robert Duvall was also oh, I'm not sure about Robert Duvall, I'm not but sure. G- Gene yeah, Hackman is definitely, definitely in it. So um, what an amazing filmography that is. Yeah, yeah, he only made and, five. And very... But- what five films you know yeah and very tragically died pretty young yeah of um, from memory from bone cancer and he was meryl streep's partner at the time as well okay when he died so yeah and mm. i think Hot, sure. i read a stat about a statistic about him that he was in of his five movies at least three of them were nominated for best picture mm. Um, which, which I think, I think is, the Godfather won for both, didn't it? Godfather um, won for both. Two. I got the feeling <coughs> yeah. the Hunter might have won. I think it did. Um, I think it did and, win for the best. And Dog Day uh, Afternoon, yeah. I think, might well have been nominated, and the conversation yeah. might have even been nominated. God, yeah, that, <laughs> it's amazing. It's an impressive little CV, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, not a um, duff one amongst the five. Yeah, no. amazing. Um, but you know, whereas, funny Robert De Niro could say the same after <laughs> all the many, many movies he has done. He used to be so fussy about what he appeared in, and now. it's like yeah whatever i'll do it yeah just pay me (laughs) well yeah this is it i mean you know he went from being one of our most prolific actors of 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 the modern era to to having an answer machine that just says yes i'll do it yeah Um, i mean well in the 80s he used to spend 18 months dithering about whether he'd be in a movie so there was that story about bob hoskins was slated to do the untouchables to play um uh al Capone. capone and then he was told oh actually de niro's changed his mind he's going to do it and uh, Brian De Palma sent Bob Hoskins the check for the whole amount of money he would have had had he chosen to do the movie because it was a late call. So Bob Hoskins got paid even though he didn't appear in the movie, which oh. is quite something. Okay. But, uh, yeah, but that was because of De Niro dithering, and now he doesn't dither. He just does everything they offer him, I think. Yeah. Allegedly. Allegedly. Oh, yeah. So that's <laughs> The Deer Hunter, Friday the 6th of yeah. uh, August, uh, BBC Two, 11.05pm. <clears throat> Let's move to Saturday, the 7th of August, uh, on Sony Movies Classic, 9pm. Very different film. Yeah. But, but well, not, I, no I less entertaining. I mean, different, really? Really, is it different? I mean, another, surely an Oscar contender of a very serious movie, Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery, which, as we know, was a very, very big hit comedy back in 1997, um, to wow. jog the memory. That's uh, more longer than I thought, actually. 24 years that, yeah. ago. I know. And uh, so, so Mike Myers um, plays Austin Powers, who we all were all very familiar with. Um, who is the guy who was frozen in the 60s. It's kind of Bond spoof, but he's more groovy than Bond. You know, he's uh, he's much more a, 
a, f- a caricature of the 60s in a way. And mm. um, parachuted into, or defrosted literally into <clears throat> 1997, uh, where he teams up with Liz Hurley to um, take down Dr. Evil, who's is also played by Mike Myers. Gosh, the technology involved in that. Amazing, isn't it? <laughs> and, uh, and of course, there's a culture clash because this guy's come out of the 60s where everything's shagadelic, as I seem to think he uh, yeah. called it at the time. And he doesn't understand how the world works in the 90s. And that's half the fun because he often puts his foot right in it. And um, oh, it's just very funny. I mean, <clears throat> I'm sure we could uh, we could relive the uh, scene by scene for, for, for this one, but we'd be here all day, wouldn't we? But yeah. it's just well worth another look. So nine o'clock on Saturday. It's uh, it's one to have a pizza and watch, I think. Yeah, and it's the first of three that Mike Myers did, and they were all very good. I, I remember yeah, them all they were. being very yeah. popular films. And he was hot off the back of Wayne's World after this. He did Wayne. He did two yes. Wayne's World yeah. films, and 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 I think people sort of wondered maybe he's a one trick pony. You know, maybe Wayne's World oh, is, yeah, is yeah. his character, and then he he brings in another one. And um, yeah, I, I I don't think actually I think the scene I'm thinking of I think is in the second one, but there's a lovely bit in the in the movie where. I think it's the one where he has to go back to the 60s. So I think maybe that's the second movie. Oh, yeah. And his boss is <coughs> Peter. It was um, Michael, Michael York. York, wasn't it? Yeah. And and there's a bit where he says, so, so, you know, Austin, you've got to go back to the 60s and you've got to stop this happening before it did. And, and he goes, but if I go back to the 60s, won't I already be there? And then won't it cause some sort of paradox? <laughs> and Michael York says, I wouldn't worry about that, Austin. And then he turns to the camera yeah, and he yeah. goes, and neither should you. <laughs> <laughs> a wonderful bit I of love, breaking the fourth wall. <laughs> I love the in-jokes, and what I do like as well is the way they take the mick out of Bond and, you know, the henchmen that constantly get killed in Bond films, particularly in the 60s ones with Connery and Moore and mm. into the 70s, where and, and they're, they're identified. You know, it's like they all have a, like a leaving do for a henchman and someone's just always been killed. And they're all like, oh, no. And uh, all his mates are there, and they're really sad because this henchman, you know, he's been yeah. a henchman with Dr. Evil for a while, and now oh, he's such a good guy as well. Wasn't and- there a scene where there's like, where you see a henchman's home and his wife is like doing the dishes and the kids are playing in front of the oh, television or, yeah. and trying to show that like they have this, <clears throat> and it's, oh, sorry, daddy's not coming home, you know. And and the, and the ones that don't get killed get horribly injured, you know. They, 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 so obviously in Bond films, people just fall off cliffs and explode in cars and things. But in this these ones, they're like, Oh, I appear to have broken my leg horribly. And if you could just fetch someone to help me. And they're all looking a bit awkward because, you know, they're not really going to call an ambulance, but they're going to leave this poor guy down there. And he's like, oh, it's a bit awkward. And, uh, yeah, it's really, really funny. I love the way they take the mick out of the Bond movies. Okay. I also love the Bond movies, but it's a yeah. really good Mickey Turk, But it wasn't you know? just the, because of the 60s, there was an awful lot of Bond spoofs, weren't there? An awful lot yes. of imitators. And in many ways, this is almost sort of poking fun at them. You know, yes, uh, like Flint, I think it was. Yeah, with James Corbin. Yeah, was and one there, of them, was the one, there was the one. Dean Martin one. Yeah, wasn't there Matt as well? Helm was Dean Martin. That's the yeah. fella. Yeah, and it was yeah. it, in many ways it was poking fun at a lot of those, wasn't it? It was at the '60s yeah. spy boom, which was started by Bond, but but in many ways yeah. it was kind of lampooning the others. I think as much as anything. I think, I think you're right, lampooning the lampoons. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's uh, Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery, Mike Myers, and Liz Hurley, who's not there for her acting. Uh, and that's Saturday the seventh. Oh, is that harsh? Oh, vicious. <laughs> mm, yeah, okay. There's a reason why she wasn't in the sequels. Um, anyway. Uh, Saturday- oh, she was. She came, she came back as a fembot, don't you remember? Yeah, but only briefly. In the opening she? scene. Yeah. Yeah, it was brilliant because he, he she almost kills him. <laughs> and when he phones up his boss, Michael York, again, he says, uh, it turns out she was a fembot. And they went, and Michael York goes, uh, yeah, we knew, Austin. Yeah, we knew about that. And he's like, well, could you have told me? <laughs> you know? But yeah, it's a brief a brief cameo. I think it's Heather Graham in the second one. Yeah, one, isn't it? yeah. 
Ah, uh, uh, yes. Yeah, so anyway, uh, uh, yeah, Saturday yes. the 7th of August uh, on <clears throat> Sony Movies Classic, 9pm in Austin Powers. Let's move, move to Sunday, the 8th of August. Now, I saw this film on your recommendation again. Um, ah, again, you see. Yeah. Um, Sp- spreading the word on these things. So yeah. t- tell us about your choice, which is on 9pm okay. on Sony Movies Classic. So this is Callan, Callan, C-A-L-L-A-N, uh, from 1974. It's a movie version of the series that starred Edward Woodward as a character that could not be more um, different, if you like, couldn't be more different to James Bond. So he's the unglamorous um, agent. So he's, he's effectively a former soldier used as a kind of assassin in uh, the British Secret Service. They send him to get rid of people that they, they need quietly disposing of. Um, and this is all filmed back in a in an era where we thought that probably did go on possibly and but we nobody knew and so they tackled it head on and said that he worked for a section that nobody knows about he's completely anonymous and uh, he's often called upon to do jobs that he doesn't really want to do he's a very reluctant assassin he has his demons you know and he's he's very gritty and he has a um I suppose I was going to say colleague but it's probably unofficial a guy called Lonely who's played by a fellow called Russell Hunter and Lonely was a burglar um, and a man that uh, Callan uses to break into places and steal things and get him into buildings, etc. and treats him kind of appallingly but also looks after him as well, if that makes any sense. Mm. Um, but Callan was just... It's its kind of hard to describe it unless you watch it, but it's just Woodward's portrayal of this man who is trapped in this world and doesn't really want to be there and is constantly um, falling out with authority but also knows that they could easily kill him. Um, and it doesn't look like doesn't like what he wants, what what he's good at, what he has to do, um, and the series is like that, and the movie is like the series, and it's a one-off adventure, um, and it's it's well worth a watch. It's at nine o'clock again on Sony Movies Classic, so they're they're having a good week. So yeah, so this was a, uh, I mean, in the early seventies, this was happening a lot, wasn't it? Where they were making Brit, there were British movies that were spin-offs from successful TV series of the time. And yes. uh, and this this was one of them. So this was a big screen adaptation of um of of the TV series. I believe it was actually based on the pilot episode of the TV series. I believe the story That's was right, largely was. reworked. <clears throat> Um, yes, it was. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. and yeah, it was. But but Callan himself was a was a like as you said, there, a very intriguing character. He was like the antithesis of James Bond because he, he, he one felt like he was the real spy as opposed yeah. to the so, glamorous <clears throat> fictionalized one. I was about to say that they strip away any of the glamour. There is no glamour. Um, he's just good at what he does, and he's incredibly um, resilient and tough. But at the same time, somewhat tortured, and he lives alone, and he's you know he's just um, a figure that's clearly not a happy person, <laughs> evidently, uh, and is always in danger of being kicked out by the very people who employ him. And of course, occasionally, young lads come in, uh, and this happens a couple of times in the Callan series, but again in the movie. Uh, young guys come in and they think, oh, well, I'm better than him, you know, so I'll, I'll show everybody I'm better than him. So it's a bit like Bond having a, a 006 who's 15 years younger than him, who's, uh, you know, fresher and more usually posher mm. and um, trying to outdo him. And he has to contend with that as well. Yeah. Well, would you say that in a way Callum was like the small screen version of Harry Palmer? Because Michael Caine's yes. character was, <clears throat> yes, was a, a lot like that, wasn't he, On in the, yeah. in the 60s movies that he made? He was. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. I think Callan might possibly be even kind of 
tougher in the sense that he's an assassin rather than an effectively somebody who investigates things. But you're absolutely right. There is that sort of slightly grubby raincoat look to the characters. You know, they're a bit a uh, bit of loners. They're they're not officer figures. You know, they're clearly not Sandhurst educated people. They're guys in off the street who used to be corporals and sergeants, and they've seen a bit and done a bit. And then, therefore, they're unleashed on the world, and you you get the feeling they're completely deniable if anything goes wrong while they're on a mission. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say there's a definite thread running between uh, Harry Palmer and Callan. Good spot. Okay, there you go. That's uh, ha- Callan, which was the the big screen adaptation from 1974, starring Edward Woodward, uh, which is never easy to say. Uh, and that's 9 p.m. on Sony <laughs> Movies Classic. Now, you've you've sort of mentioned Bond there in the last two movies that you've chosen. And that sort of links to the next one because the first big screen Bond was in this. Well, he is. Sean Connery's in it. But, I mean, uh, to say that Sean Connery's in this movie it sort of implies that he's the star. <laughs> and there's a lot of stars in this one. So I, I'll read the cast and see if people guess the movie. It stars Richard Burton, Sean Connery, as we said, Henry Fonda, John Wayne, Robert Mitchum, Kenneth Moore, George Siegel, and Rod Steiger. So, obviously, it's The Longest Day, yeah. a movie about D-Day, 6th of June, 1944, um, based on a book by Cornelius Ryan, and a bit like uh, A Bridge Too Far, the one about Arnhem, in the sense that it was also written by the same guy. The, the book was written by Cornelius Ryan for both of those adaptations, and each adaptation went for the massive cast. So, they, it was like they rang around Hollywood at the time and got the Brits in as well. Um, and but it does a very Sean good Connery job of in? telling. Did they both uh, have Sean yes, Connery? Yes, they did. So Sean Connery plays, I think it's, is it Major General Urquhart? I'm not, I may be wrong with that one, but he, he certainly plays um, the Major General in charge of the Paras who end up in Arnhem and uh, it all goes horribly wrong on, on a bridge too far. But with the longest day, at least the outcome was a positive one. Obviously, a lot of men were killed in the process of that uh, invasion, re, re, retaking, if you like, and liberating france and then the rest of europe so it shows the the odds really that were stacked um against them because they you know at one point they, they had to call it off and leave it for 24 hours because of the weather um they were going to invade on the 5th of june and the weather turned against them and then they had to gamble and go on a day where they relied on one meteorologist to give them a bit of a well it should be okay guys you know it was a hell of a hell of a high risk uh, undertaking yeah. And then they went in and hit the beaches. And obviously a lot of um, what happened as well was behind enemy lines where people parachuted in and took out gun emplacements and troop, you know, troops that were potentially going to engage men on the beach. So, yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating story and it's well worth a watch. Okay. Um, I happen to know that he was in A Bridge Too Far because um, I'm, I'm a bit of a fan of Roger Moore. I love his work. And Roger Moore and Sean Connery almost appeared together in A Bridge Too Far. Oh, uh, it, I remember it was this story. I think you told me. The first thing they did together. But um, yeah, a, a Roger Moore, the character he was playing was still alive. And all the living um, characters from A Bridge Too Far had in their contracts the right to be able to comment on the casting choice. And the, the person, the real life person that he was due to play, didn't want him playing it and wanted Edward Fox instead. And uh, didn't want Roger Moore playing him. Felt he was a bit too much of a dandy. Wanted somebody a bit tougher, and uh, and so yeah, he didn't get the part. And it went to. I just, uh, I just, I'm just thinking when people come to to ask me, and I don't know about you, Danny, but if mm. someone comes to ask you this and says, Danny, we want to obviously film your life. You know, it's been amazing. We, we you know, Daniel Craig or um, Tom Hardy, and you're like, oh, well, you know, um, I, I love the the way you just kind of turned down James Bond and went with a different actor. That's pretty 
confident, isn't it? Really? <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised he had a say in it. I'm surprised they actually gave yeah, him that I much do. because that could have killed a movie because somebody like Roger Moore at the time would have been yeah, big I, box office. I, I, I suspect. I suspect it was worded in a way that they often use where they say you have the right to consult. Right. And then, and in fact, there was even a, wasn't there a film Sweet Liberty with Michael Caine and Alan Alder? And Alan Alder plays a historian who writes a book and they buy the film rights to this book. And he goes, hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm not happy with this. And he goes, I have a right to, to con- you know, I'm a consultant. I've got a right to have a consultation. And the director goes, you're absolutely right. Tell me the problem. And the guy tells him the problem. Alan Alder tells the director what he's aggrieved at. And the director says, great, we had a consultation. That's it. And then he walks away and ignores him. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that was your right to tell the director, and he just ignores you. <laughs> so, but anyway, for, for whatever reason, they went with that. But, yeah. yeah. Okay, so the longest day, though, um, <clears throat> is on yeah. Film 4, 2.45 p.m. on Monday the 9th of August. Let us move Correct. to Tuesday the 10th of August. And uh, well, we don't as yet know when that's on, but I will find out. Oh. That's my that's my that's my typing error. Tell my it, printing. I'll, I'll blame the printer. Tell us know, about the movie, and I will look this okay. up. Okay, on Tuesday the tenth, Star Trek. So you're going to like this one because it's the 2009 one. It is the reboot um, or the origin story, if you like. But they do um, rather like Austin Powers. They mess with time a little bit. So what they were able to do with this one is have a whole new cast playing the original members of Star Trek. So it wasn't like a new captain, not like a, a new. You know, like Picard was a new captain. This is Kirk and Spock and Scotty and Bones. And um, Chris Pine plays Kirk. Zachary Quinto is very good as Spock. And our very own Simon Pegg gets to play Scotty. So Shaun of the Dead gets to play Scotty. And the idea is they, they go back and show how the crew of the Enterprise get to meet up and go on their earliest missions together. And, um, you know, hijinks ensue, particularly as... Chris Pine plays Kirk as a really weirwood fellow who's gone off the rails completely. He's not even at Starfleet Academy. He's driving too fast. He's getting into punch-ups. He's messing his life away. And um, his father had died as a Starfleet commander. He sort of heroically sacrificed his life in order to get his wife and baby off the ship at the beginning of this movie. Um, and... Uh, one of the, you know, an older Starfleet commander sees Kirk messing up his life as a young man and says, you know, clearly you're better than this or could be, and uh, you know offers the chance to turn his life around and get him off to Starfleet Academy, where he proves to be an unruly student at best, shall we say? And it's great fun. This it's really well done. It's J.J. Abrahams who was given the the chance to do it, and it's really really good. Yeah, it's 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 high octane action. It's 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 flies at a lightning pace and rid of knots yeah yeah and and, and <clears throat> great performances you know chris pine and zachary quinto and zoe saldana and carl yeah. urban and, and you know all of them simon Pegg, that they're, they're all really good but the the, the genius of jj abrams in this is the way that he contrived it because you know people have been star trek fans well this was 40 years after the original series ended you know and people you know a big army of star trek fans but in order to not alienate them, he came up with a really clever plot device at the beginning because the beginning yeah. of the movie features um, <clears throat> Leonard Nimoy as Spock. Yes. Uh, and through a bit of time travel, he got, he and the person he's pursuing go back in time to the period that was just, well, it was pretty much when... 25 years born. earlier, isn't it? Yeah. It was, yeah. yeah and, and, and so them going back, 
alters the future. It alters things. So suddenly you can have a, a Kirk that has a different character to William Shatner's because William Shatner's Kirk's father was still alive when he was a Starfleet captain, whereas ah. this Kirk's father died because of the events of the time travel thing. It, ah, so it, I so that it, bit, I'd missed the significance of that because I didn't realise that Kirk's father was alive in the in the tv series in the original series that his father wow. didn't die before he was born whereas in this right. we see his father die rather heroically right at the beginning of the movie just as his wife's given birth to kirk and and what i do like about it is when we do get to the inevitable end of this movie it then sets you up for other adventures because nothing has previously been written it's all starting all over again yeah. from scratch so you know i suppose some people might be upset that it erased the but it's a different timeline and they, they talk about this past, now in they, star yeah. trek they, they talk about this as the kelvin timeline because it was the ah. the ship that that kirk's <clears throat> father was on that that where it exploded and he died was the uss kelvin and that was the event that changed the timeline so the, when you said they talk about this are oh you sorry star trek fans yeah, no, this is what oh. I'm kind of hinting at. So this is when you, in the middle of the night, you go on and email your fellow nerds and chat about this? Or is it... <laughs> we, it, it I'm just have trying to, to draw you out there. It doesn't know? have to be in the middle of the yeah. night. We, we can talk about okay, this at any time. Okay. But yes, yeah. they, so, because they, they, there's, I mean, recently they, there's been a big resurgence in Star Trek on television again. There, there's there's two series currently on. There's there's another one in production. There's, there's a, two animated oh. series that are now on as well. Uh, but they don't in any way have anything to do with the film series, which is a different timeline. So, ah, okay. so the J.J. Abrams stuff is the Kelvin timeline and well, I, the other stuff is the Prime timeline. I must admit I've lost track with all the TV series. I think the last time I saw the series it was the one with Picard in it, so that dates me going back a long, long while. Well, he's back but though, isn't these he? these movies, I believe he is, yes. Yeah. Um, but I was going to say these movies were brilliant. I think there were three of them, wasn't there? And, uh, and there is now talk of a fourth very, very one. Good. The, 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 oh, right. the third one wasn't so good, which then kind of meant whether it was all actually going to there was going to be a fourth one, but, out. but there is a fourth one. Um, Quentin Tarantino wrote the script for a fourth one, but it looks like they're not making his. It looks like his isn't going to be the next movie made. I can, I cannot imagine Star Trek as imagined by Quentin Tarantino. It's just hard to visualize, really. <laughs> Apparently, it's a rumor that it might well get made at some point. His one, he wrote That'd a script. Be an awful for lot it. more swearing than the normal Star Trek if he's written it. I tell oh, you. you've not watched the TV yeah. stuff. They're not shy of an f bomb these days. Oh, oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, Kel Horror, I'm shocked. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, the J.J. Abrams Star Trek film from 2009, lots of great fun. Uh, don't think about the plot too hard because yeah, it doesn't bear scrutiny, but it's fun nonetheless. And it's on on uh, Tuesday the 10th of August, 9 p.m. on Film 4. So, well done. I apologise for that, but I always, I always have to throw in a little error for you to then rescue me. Otherwise, what's air, the point of me? You know, you know that's, exactly. That's, well, this is how we, this is how we can prove it's you know it's all live and flowing, and you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just that one error each time, and this is mine. But keeps me go, on so. my toes. So exactly, yes. Now your films are all linking, aren't they? Because because um, that your next choice for Wednesday the eleventh of August, six forty p.m. on Film Four, stars a future James Bond. It does. It has Pierce Brosnan in it, although he is not. The star as such of this one, the the plaudits go to Robin Williams yeah. for this one as Mrs. Doubtfire, nineteen ninety three, the cross dressing Robin Williams, who uh, well not not that he's cross dressing off screen all the time <laughs> as far as we know at the time, but on screen, and um, basically he gets divorced from Sally Field because his life's going nowhere, he's a bit irresponsible, and uh, not really too harshly she kicks him out. So in order to see his kids because there is a bit of a contrivance there that he doesn't get to see the children uh, often enough. He 
applies for the job of nanny effectively to them as Mrs. Doubtfire because he's an actor. So he gets a friend to do the makeup and get him, you know, the wigs and the dresses and the, you know, the uh, the padding. And he turns up as a Scottish lady called Mrs. Doubtfire. And of course, the kids love him. And, you know, Sally Field, the ex-wife, loves him. But it's complicated by the fact that Sally Field is now dating Pierce Brosnan. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, you know, he's got James Bond to compete with at the time. And uh, hijinks ensue, really. <laughs> Again, no spoilers. Well, know. one of the things... It's, that, it's good fun. I'm gonna, this is perhaps potentially a mild spoiler now, but I think it's worth drawing this fact out. T- to me, this is one of the first sort of Hollywood movies that didn't give something like this a traditional Hollywood ending because a traditional Hollywood ending would be that the mum and dad got back together, that they settled their differences and it all lived yep. happily ever after. It did all end happily ever after, but not in that way. And and I remember showing this film to a bunch of kids when I used to be in youth work. And one of the other leaders, an older chap who I thought was going to disapprove of this movie because there was some mild language in it at some point. But he um, he actually said, you know, how good was that for these kids? He goes, half of these kids live in what would be described perhaps as broken homes. You know, at the time, yes, m- yeah. mum and <clears throat> a stepdad and, you know, that, the real dad's elsewhere in the picture and and this was telling them that that can also be normal and yes and that's a good point actually i never thought of it like that but you're absolutely right it was one of the few for because this is quite an old movie now it's going back a while yeah and, um yeah you're right the, the hollywood ending would have been i don't know probably would have ended up with robin williams punching pierce brosnan into a fountain or something yeah you know, that's, yeah then walking away hand in hand with his ex-wife and, and no. sally field realizing that she loved him all along and all along yeah, yes yes and, exactly and and thankfully <laughs> it avoided those cliches and it had a different yeah, and I, I wonder if there was a fight to make it end that way i wonder how I much pressure there was, there was. <clears throat> i bet there was yeah yeah because uh, producers are not normally too keen well they're risk averse aren't they yeah. so anything new but ironically, we always remember the movies that did take a risk and did do something new. Yeah. They're the ones that stick in your mind, yeah. Absolutely. But now let's move on to our final movie. And this actor has appeared already on the film guide this time around, um, or at least he's been mentioned already, uh, and was a, at one point, I believe, a contender for Bond. Uh, but uh, a final choice on Thursday, the 12th of August, 9pm on ITV4, The Italian Job. Yes, I think we've all heard of this one, haven't we? But it's always worth, uh, you know, another look. I was going to say a second look, but it's one of those movies we tend to watch at Christmas or on bank holidays or wet Sunday afternoons when it's not worth going out. It's from 1969. Michael Caine is the actor in question, <coughs> playing the lead. Can't quite imagine him as Bond. I love him as Harry Palmer. I even love him playing the Geordie in Get Carter, even though his accent is wildly off. But it's it's still <laughs> a fantastic movie. But I cannot imagine him as... 007, know what I mean? Uh, anyway, apparently in... he was on a list at some point. Um, I don't know how seriously he would have been considered because for a start he was blonde-haired and blue-eyed, which didn't really fit the image. And, and also he was that's not true. Yeah. He wasn't posh, but then neither was Sean Connery, yet he no, was quite believable. No, that's true. Yeah. I mean, I got, I got to be Michael Kinn is such a great actor. He probably would have been able to tone down and adopt different accents he has before in lots of other movies, so I'm probably doing him a disservice because mm. he's one of my favorites but i just can't quite visualize him as bond and um i doubt he'd want to be typecast as well which they both were early on i think yeah. uh, connery and Moore struggled to move out of that but uh, i digress again anyway <laughs> this is what i would class as a caper movie it's a it's a heist movie um kane um plays a guy who's in charge of a group of east end villains who are going to go and do a big job uh, over in italy they're going to take gold bullion from under the eyes of the mafia who have sworn to make sure they don't do this. And then they they escape 
with their uh, fleet of mini cars, which incidentally they were going to be Fiat cars originally, and Fiat turned them down. Do you believe? Well, I can and only Mini imagine they're regretting fabulous that. levels of advertising, which is probably why car manufacturers to this day are happy to cooperate with filmmakers because uh, everybody. I mean, I can't think of anything more iconic than the the minis in the Italian job. Really. No, but it, it, it's great fun. If you've never seen it, you probably have seen it, but it doesn't matter. You can watch it again and again. Yeah, you ever see the remake? No, I did. I, or did I? I'm trying to think. Is that the one with? Um, oh, it's gone. The, the the Hollywood guy who um now nah, I've forgotten that as well. You see senility is creeping in on me, Danny. It's awful. You found me out again. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's the, gone. The the, re- the remake had in it um uh Charlize Theron, uh and I'm wanting to say Jason Statham, but I might be making that up. Uh I don't think it is. It's the guy who was in the boy band, wasn't it? Oh yeah, yes, his name was just gone. Mark Wahlberg. That's the fella, Mark, Mark Wahlberg. Wahlberg. You see, like somebody's I'm like somebody's grandfather, you know, going, oh, what's his name? He used to be in a band. You know? I used to think that with you, but it was more the smell of Werther's than anything else, to be honest. But, um, <laughs> I thought it was the smell of alcohol. <laughs> no, Jason Statham wasn't it. I, so we were both oh, right. He was handsome. Uh, yeah, Rob, yeah, fair play. Which is ironic. Ah. Um, but, um, but yeah, Mark Wahlberg was the star of it. Um, Ed Norton was in there as well. Charlize Theron. And Do you know what? Michael mm. Caine. Now you've mentioned Ed Norton. I think I did see this, but a long time ago. It's nearly 20 years ago, isn't it, this remake? Or 15, maybe? Uh, yes, yes. It's Was it I think I saw it on. Yeah. Yeah, I do think I saw that one Saturday. It's one of those movies that was quite good, but quite forgettable. So I don't really remember too much about it. But it was better than most remakes. Well, yes. And I tend to avoid them, you know. My <clears> memory <throat> of this is that it wasn't really a remake as such, but it was about a heist in Italy that did use Mini Coopers. But, ah, there but there's a point in the movie, I think, where they're in a, maybe a hotel or in a hotel room, and on the TV in the background is the Italian job, I believe. Oh, right. And that's where Michael Caine's cameo comes from because he was on the TV screen, and I believe he was credited as being in this movie. Wow. Um, there you go. But, but yeah, it was so it, it wasn't bad. It wasn't really a patch on the original, but they didn't no, try the to remake has a definite, the original. It has a definite charm, and it's perfect for a, a, a wet bank holiday. or in this case, a Thursday. So at <laughs> 9 p.m. on Channel 4. ITV4. Oh, sorry. I thought I said, oh, I can't even read my own writing now. Yeah. I'm really losing the plot. Couldn't your notes, ITV4, 9 p.m. Don't tune into it's Channel all, 4. It's all too much to me. Probably be Gogglebox or something. Anyway, that's um, that's the film guide. That's that's it done for another week. Howard will be um, will be back next month with more um, films for the film guide. Next week on the film guide, it's the return of Chris Aikman. Uh, so uh, I'm sure Chris will, will do a very good job as well, um, and uh, we look forward to that. The films that Howard has chosen, you can find the list in the description of this podcast episode right now, along with a link to that article that Howard referred to with his um, recommendation of films that he wrote for uh, Goodreads. No, not Goodreads. Who is it? It was uh, Dead Good. Dead, Dead Good. Good Books, yeah. Yeah, um, close. They, they sound very similar. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll include the link to that as well. Uh, Howard, thank you very much. We'll catch you again real soon. It's been a pleasure, as always, mate. Thank you. Speak to you again. Cheers.